This is Billy Corbin, director of Cocaine Cowboys and the 30 for 30s, The You and Broke. And there's nothing we love in Miami more than driving cruise control with no hands, steering with our knee, and not using turn signals, which is kind of what it's like listening to the Cruise Control Podcast with my man, Randy Cruz. All right, we're here live on the Cruise Control Podcast, Thursday, August 11th, 2016. I'm joined by Mr. Graham Matthews, who is becoming a frequent uh, weekly contributor to the podcast. He's from Bleacher Report, a WWE featured columnist for Bleacher Report, uh, reviewing Raw and SmackDown and talking everything about the world of professional wrestling. Graham, what's up, my man? How you doing? Doing great, Randy. How about yourself? Doing good. Can't complain. We're almost, uh, I think we're less than... Or a, a little over a week away from SummerSlam next week uh, at the Barclays Center. Also, a little over a week away from NXT Brooklyn at Barclays the night before. So, um, lots of stuff uh, of wrestling happening in the world of, of professional wrestling. Even outside of what happened on Raw and SmackDown. So, I'll get right to it, man. Um, to be honest, Graham, not a lot of stuff happened on Raw and SmackDown to really talk about. Or to say, you know what, this popped out of my head. But I, I, I would get to a few things, but I want to start off with, um, hopefully you've seen it, the, the Stone Cold podcast was, was very interesting between Stone Cold and Dean Ambrose on on Monday night. And, um, you know, questions were raised and, you know, I guess how Dean Ambrose, um, you know, answered or, or not willing to answer uh, a few questions Stone Cold asked him, and we, we all know how Stone Cold gets down on his podcast. He's very truthful and very just right in your face. Um, overall, what was your, or, you know, your initial reaction to the Dean Ambrose appearance on the Stone Cold podcast? Yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, he came off pretty well, and I mean, I don't know if it's just the way that Ambrose is or just the questions that Austin was asking personally. It seemed like he didn't really want to delve deeper into the personal stuff when he had talked about his family and his upbringing. And they spent a lot of time on talking about his family earlier on in the podcast for whatever reason. And Ambrose isn't, just isn't that type of guy to talk about his family, or at least himself anyway. So it didn't really come off that great. So I could see why people were either like, oh, it was great, or I loved it, or it was terrible. And he's definitely a socially awkward person, so that's why it wasn't the most amazing podcast. It did not make it the most compelling hour of, podcasting or WWE Network or TV or whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, so I thought overall it was all right, but obviously the two biggest talking points that have had people buzzing since then are the talk about Brock Lesnar from WrestleMania and also um, what happened at the end when Austin challenged Ambrose to push the envelope and whatever, and Ambrose kind of got offended when he said that he was wrestling on his laurels. So it was an all right podcast. There were just definitely parts of it that were more notable than others and just, I don't know, Ambrose doesn't really seem like that type of person that could sit down for an hour talking about himself or maybe just talking, period, because I've seen other interviews with him. And it doesn't, not like it, not like it's, that he doesn't want it, that it seems like he doesn't want to be there. It's just the fact that, I don't know, he's just not that type of person. But I thought overall it was all right. Um, definitely some compelling parts of the podcast that have had people talking ever since, uh, that, that have happened, that have had people talking since Monday. Um, but I thought it was enjoyable overall, though. Yeah, I, I thought it was. Uh, I I thought it was okay. I think you know Stone Cold was trying to make the best of what, you know, what was put put in front of him. With Dean Ambrose either being reluctant not to answer or just doesn't want to share um, stuff about the the upcomings of him getting you know into the ring and childhood and stuff like that. And, and yeah, some people are like that, but 
from the reaction I was getting on Twitter, it was either A, Stone Cold was trying too hard, B, Ambrose was just reluctant, not trying to review any information, or C, he was still in Dean Ambrose-type character to, to a degree where he just maybe just wasn't giving information on purpose. And, and, and at times, it looked like Stone Cold was pretty frustrated, and you can see him like... Like, dude, you you you're the world champion. You gotta give me something. Uh, I mean, I, I I'm gonna try to ask you the same question five different ways. You know, give me give me something. And I think when Ambrose was res- was responding, he had a, like a lot of a lot of um, a lot of pauses where it's like it, it went dead for a couple of seconds. It's like maybe he just can't you know articulate what he wants to say. You know as opposed to him being in the ring and in a regular promo. So it was kind of weird. And maybe, maybe we won't see Dean Ambrose on a future show, but I think for the most part, um, if, if there's, if there's a bright side, it, it makes him, it makes it look like Dean Ambrose is vulnerable. It's not your typical champion to a degree, but would, you know, could be, uh, uh, a good thing as well. Um, not cocky to a degree, but, um, I felt I felt it was different if, if there's a word to describe it, and mm-hmm. just seeing Stone Cold's face, man, it, it was priceless. Like, dude, come on, man, I'm I'm challenging, I'm challenging you, I'm calling you out. You're just chilling, resting on your laurels. You're the world champion. Uh, are you happy to be the world champion? Are you excited? So maybe he was just, you know, you're trying too hard, but maybe he wanted to really have Dean just to show some emotion. That's a good point. I mean, I think you made a great point, too, in that I think some of the parts of the podcast that some people may not have liked might have been the biggest strengths of it, or at least Ambrose, the way that he came off, in that, unlike Cena, because if you rewatch the Cena podcast, which was not with Austin, it was with Chris Jericho, and it was good, but you can obviously tell that a lot of what Cena was saying was all, like, company answers. And Triple H does the same thing, and I respect both guys greatly. Right. But it seems like a lot of the time when there's to do, you know, like, interviews and stuff, they give a lot of company-produced answers. And that wasn't Ambrose at all. Sometimes to a fault, and then he was, like, taking too long to answer questions. Like you said, his articulation wasn't amazing, and he wasn't a terrible talker, and it's weird because he's a great promo guy, so I don't know. But, um, but yeah, like you said, I thought overall, just some of the stuff that he talked about, he just didn't really seemed like he wanted to talk about it too much. And the Lesnar stuff was the best part about it, who, in my opinion, and, and it's weird, too, because I guess it's not really an excuse because Lesnar doesn't, you know, he's not a great talker. It's the exact opposite with Brock Lesnar, that he can't cut a promo to save his life. Yet in the podcast, when he and Austin talked late last year, it was awesome. The guy seems like he's great outside of the ring when it comes to natural speaking ability. Um, and same thing with AJ Styles, same exact thing. Just Ambrose, there was just some kind of disconnect there, but yeah, Austin challenging Dean Ambrose to kind of, you know, push the envelope and not rest on his laurels. Ambrose being offended by that was definitely interesting, and it was kind of a an intense way to close out the podcast. So I liked that. It was definitely a good way to get people talking coming out of the, the entire hour because the entire thing was not all that newsworthy for whatever reason. They didn't talk about a lot of monumental, milestone-breaking, you know, groundbreaking stuff. But to end on that note with Austin physically getting frustrated with Dean Ambrose and then yeah. not really giving me the answers that I want is <laughs> definitely interesting and closed out the podcast on a high note in my opinion. Yeah, I, I was shocked when when he mentioned the Brock Lesnar stuff not being uh, uh well being lazy. I think maybe you know, not being as creative as Dean Ambrose wanted to be and you know, Brock just wanted to just go in there, have a fight, have a regular, you know, quote unquote street fight and just and leave. And Dean Ambrose, you know, he did say to 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 defend him. He wanted to do this. He 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 kept going to management to to 
bring up some new ideas, how to get that match really, you know, over the top. And, you know, Brock Brock was Brock. He wanted to, according to Dean, he, Brock just wanted to just, you know, have a match, have a basic, boring street fight, and that's really it. So I think out of everything that was said on the podcast, um, that, that, that portion and the fact that Stone Cold wanted to really see Dean Ambrose, you know, take it to a different level, you know, push the envelope. You know, he, you know he's the man right now. He has the world championship, and uh, we don't know how long he's going to have that belt. But, but for the time being, Stone Cold wants him to really just, you know, do everything you have to do to make people believe that you are indeed the top guy in the company. So, I, overall, I thought, it, I thought it was okay. But, um, let me see. I mean, also outside of, you know, Raw and SmackDown, NXT and stuff, um, I guess you can help me out with this. Apparently, Damian Sandow is going to TNA and right back to Northeast Wrestling. Uh, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure you heard about that, right? Yeah, yeah, both things, yeah. So, which one um, are you kind of surprised of where these two guys ended up, and which one are you more excited to see? I'm more excited to see Ryback and Northeast Wrestling just because me and my buddy John have been going to that promotion for close to seven years now. And it's not like TNA or Ring of Honor that they're a promotion where they do TV and stuff. It's basically right. a glorified indie promotion. But one can argue they're bigger than TNA because they draw bigger crowds than TNA ever has, or at least in the last couple of years. And they started out when you know my buddy John and I started going to these shows. They had people like Ron Simmons there. They had Velvet Sky, maybe Jerry Lawler every once in a while. And they've come leaps and bounds. They've improved immensely over the last decade or so in terms of getting big names. And through them, we've been able to meet AJ Styles, Kurt Angle, Mick Foley, and met Samoa Joe there last year, Alberto Del Rio, Rey Mysterio, and now they got Ryback, which is so sick. And they have a huge weekend coming up in late August with already the Hardy Boys. They have Cody Rhodes, Kurt Angle, Foley, all those guys I just mentioned. And now they have Ryback, who is going by the big guy on the independent scene, apparently. So that's a cool nickname. I mean, it's kind of to be expected because he was going by the name of the WWE. But um, if I can go, I'm already going to SummerSlam, so I don't know if I can go to that show to the following weekend. But I would love to meet Ryback. I've always been a big fan of his. Damian Sandow going to Tina does not surprise me, but I think it's a good move. I saw the vignette they aired for him. Not really a vignette, but they posted a teaser video on the Impact Wrestling website on late Wednesday, and they played Hallelujah music, not exactly his theme song, but obviously orchestrated by different people that can't use the exact same theme, but it was Hallelujah, and uh, it seems like he's going to be just himself, which is what he should have been in WWE. So I'm looking forward to that, and hopefully, you know, all goes well for him in TNA. Now, this is where I go a little sidetrack a little bit, because, you know, not, like I said, not not a lot of good stuff happened on Raw and SmackDown, even though I... I I would say SmackDown was a little bit better than Raw, just you know overall. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned just you know the the, the Hallelujah uh, entrance music, so I, I automatically think about Glorious with you know, Bobby Roode. I, I, I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to you know test the waters, te- check the temperature of what people think about. I know I know he hasn't fought yet, but just checking the temperature of the entrance music, Bobby Roode has and is going to use the glorious I, I think it's I think it's a thousand percent heel and I think Bobby Roode is going to portray that character um so before he fights a match I think he um he, he, he'll fight at NXT Brooklyn um what do you make of Bobby Roode's glorious entrance music Graham I love it I love it Randy. <laughs> I think it's great I think music itself is so perfect for the Bobby Roode character and people are already comparing it to his old theme song from TNA used off the chain by whoever they're like their Jim Johnson like music guy is 
And that was a great theme, but they can't use the same theme, obviously. It's from TNA. Right. They had to create a new theme. And people give CFO money a lot of crap, but they produced a lot of awesome entrance music, especially in the last couple of years with Sam Zane, Kevin Owens, Shinsuke Nakamura, Balor, and now Bobby Roode, too. And, I mean, I think the theme is just amazing. So perfect for, like, the heel character. And the promo we cut last week, like, calling everyone fat slobs and the Full Sail Universe audience and the Full Sail University audience, so that was great. And like you said, he will be wrestling his baby match at TakeOver Brooklyn next Saturday, which we'll both be at, so I cannot wait to see that live against Andrade Cien Almas. And that should be a great match. They set it up last night in NXT. But uh, the guy's the perfect heel. I mean, they, they do this sometimes where so they bring him in as a baby face, like Austin Aries, Samoa Joe, and then they turn him heel later on. But I think it's good from the get-go to establish Rude as a top heel in the promotion because I think Samoa Joe is going up at some point to Raw or SmackDown. They need more heels done than NXT, and Bobby Roode fits that character to a T, to perfection. So I'm so glad that, like you said, the glorious entrance music is just that. It's glorious, and it's perfectly fitting for his new character in NXT. Now, does uh, does Jim Johnson do the NXT stuff too, or does somebody else do their, their theme music? Yeah, it's CFO Money. It's like their new Jim Johnson, but I think he still works with them on some stuff. I, he, I know he did something recently, but I still think he works with them for a few theme songs here and there, but by and large, for pretty much everybody on the main roster in NXT, they use some band called CFO Money, which is it's still great. It's no Jim Johnson, but they're awesome, and uh, they, they produce a lot of the great theme songs for, like I said, for Owens, Nakamura, Balor, and now um, and now Bobby Roode as well. So now neither one has, has fought a match, but are you taking Gloria's theme music or Eva Marie's theme music? What you got? <laughs> I'll take the music for Bobby Roode, but I'll take the narration for Eva Marie. Like, the theme music that she has isn't great, but the over-the-top narration of her entrance is just great, though. Right. Now, you know you know, Raw SmackDown was, was pretty light this week, if, if I'm talking about Andrew's music, Graham. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think, yeah, for Raw and SmackDown. Are you talking about the theme songs for both shows? No, I'm saying that... You, like every time I have you on, we 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 you know me and you review Raw and SmackDown, and there's like five things from each show um, that we that we talk about. And but, but my point is that this past week ain't really giving you know giving me much to talk about, and I'm here to talk about entrance music. <laughs> That's what. I'm <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know it's a life week in the week of WWE when you're talking about like glorious entrance music. I mean it is worth talking about. The theme is just so great. But like you said, Raw and SmackDown this week they weren't atrocious. Yeah. But I think just overall, they they were just very light. And I think, not that it was done by design to kind of hold out for SummerSlam, because next week is the big go-home week before the pay-per-view. Right. But I don't know, and I agree with what you said before. SmackDown was slightly better than Raw. That's not saying much. Raw wasn't terrible. Yeah. I just feel like compared to last week, and especially two weeks before that, it just wasn't that good. Yeah, man. I I, I guess the first thing I'm going to ask you about, I, you know, they open up with, with Owens and Jericho and Enzo and Cass. Um, pretty much we're gonna see that match at SummerSlam. Should be should be fun. Should be interesting. Um, if Jericho and Owens remains a tag team, um, which I think could happen, it should happen on Raw. Um, does that bolster the tag team division for Raw? And do you do you see them staying together that long, or is is it the the prelude to what I think might happen? The prelude to Owens and Jericho teaming up for a little bit. And then something happens, and then 
you know, let's say Jericho causes uh, Owens a match and it leads to Kevin Owens turning babyface on Jericho. Do you see that happening or do you do you really see Jericho and Kevin Owens being a tag team for, for a long time? Well, I think the tag team works both ways. I think, in, and for a multitude of reasons, like you said, I think it bolsters the tag team division for Raw. And they're already winning that war anyway. I mean, you look at the tag team division for SmackDown. You watched SmackDown this week. It was American Alpha versus some two job guys from, from you know, to some local athletes or something. And then the rest of the division comes out, and it really starts to hit you, like, how small or how, like, the depth of their tag team division really isn't all that strong. It's not terrible, but the Ascension hasn't meant anything pretty much ever. You have the Usos who got hurt, so they're not there right now. You have the Hype Bros, and they're good. The Vaude Villains kind of lost a lot of their traction from a few months ago. But then you look at Raw's tag team division. The Dudley Boys aren't what they once were. They're kind of taking a lesser role in the company. But they're still the Dudley Boys. And then you have, you know, other than Golden Truth, who are awful. But disregarding them, you have New Day, Enzo, and Cass in the club. And now Enzo and Ka- or rather uh, KO and Jericho, Jericho, or whatever the hell you want to call them. They're a great tandem. They have awesome chemistry together. Them kicking off for all this week was great, too. That was a very entertaining segment, very good match between Jericho and Enzo. And then, like you said, even speaking long-term, and I know RJ made this comparison in an article he wrote on my website last week, but they are basically like the new rated RKO of 2016. Yeah. I think they have great chemistry. So, And unlike with rated RKO, where they really could have gone with like a babyface turn for either Edge or Orton, they just kind of ended that abruptly. Like you said, I think at some point this could lead to a great baby face turn for KO and a great face run for him. Jericho is doing some amazing work. His first, you know, um, you know I think his best work in years and years and years, dating back to the whole Shawn Michaels Mysterio feud from like seven years ago or so. Um, I don't know how long Jericho's sticking around. I think until the end of the year. So maybe they do this tag team for a little bit before Jericho has to leave at the end of the year. And then they turn KO face, do a little mini feud, and he puts over KO on his way out. So that's the way that I would book the rest of 2016 for both guys. Graham, it's funny that you mentioned rated RKO because I guarantee you, if you check my tweets from like two weeks ago, and you know, once the once the early inclinations of a Jericho and, and Kevin Owens tag team forming up. I saw people putting J-E-R-I-K-O as like Team Jericho or Jericho. And I saw the KO part, and I'm like, every time I see KO, my first inclination, my first thought is rated RKO. And I've always felt like rated RKO was a very underrated tag team because one, it did not last, you know, last that long. I felt like it, it, it could have gone longer. It could have been one of the best tag teams ever if they really had a real, um, a, a real run with with Edge and and Orton. And I, I swear, I put a picture up of them holding up holding up the tag team championships. And I got so many responses of like, wow, what a great team. They, they broke up too soon. Um, they should have been multiple-time tag team champion. I know they were going at DX at the time. But um, just that one moment when I saw KO in, the, in, in the, you know, the, the Jericho tag team name, my first thought was rated RKO. And, you know, it, it just, to me, one of my favorite tag teams ever. Uh, I just wish it would have went on just a little bit longer. No, I agree. I mean, they only did it for, like what? A few months, right? Uh, even five months. Yeah, not even that long at all. I mean, they won the belts. Like you said, they did the beat of DX for a few months. They dropped the belts to Cena and Shawn Michaels for no real apparent reason. And uh, they were WrestleMania opponents, but they weren't a real team, so they could have kept the belts and rated RKO for a while. And that was it. I mean, they spent the road to WrestleMania kind of feuding on and off with each other. Same thing going to Backlash where they had the four-way with Cena and Michaels, and that was basically it. 
So the thing is, is that with that tag team, like you said, they could have been so much more than what they were. It was entertaining while it lasted. And I just read, I think yesterday or on Tuesday or earlier this week, that Barrett did an interview saying that the League of Nations was basically put together. This is no real surprise. But the League of Nations was put together to put over Roman Reigns. And I honestly believe that Rated RKO, now thinking back in retrospect, was put together to put over John Cena. Because if you really think about it, they drop the belts to Cena and Michaels. They kind of have this on and off feud of Cena going to WrestleMania, and they lose every match against them. They had that four-way that I mentioned before, Backlash, where they lost them again. And then after they were done putting over John Cena, they broke up and they put Edge on SmackDown. So I honestly think that was really the only reason they were put together, and it sucks. Because if they were put together with the, with the intent of making them an amazing tag team, um, they really could have lasted a lot longer than they did. And I honestly also think, now thinking back on it now too, that Jericho could be also the current incarnation of not only rated RKO, but of Jericho and Edge, which a tag team that people might not remember, but they were put together for a cup of coffee in 2009, right before Edge got hurt. Right. had to scrap their plans and ended up feuding anyway later on down the line, but they never really were able to have that real run as tag team champions. So this could be what that was supposed to be seven years ago. Yeah, and you know, me just, you know, real quick, just thinking about it, going back, that I think the reason why they broke up, because I think the draft... The brand split was already going on. I think they drafted Edge to, uh, to SmackDown, and I guess they wanted—I wouldn't say wanted—but they they were going to put him in the the world title hunt with with, with Taker, and and at that point, Mr. Kennedy had the the money in the bank, and something happened. He got hurt or something, and they they had Edge win that. And on the flip side, with Raw with with Randy Orton, he was going into a a singles world title picture with John Cena. So I mean. Uh, the rated RKO, it, it worked for the time that it worked, but then on the overall bigger picture, you had Edge become world champion again. You had Randy Orton become world champion, and, and to me, one of the best feuds uh, of John Cena and Randy Orton's career. Um, them two going out of you know even for years, and then Edge and Taker, a, a, a second great feud between Taker and Edge uh, that lasted uh, a few years. So um, hopefully, Jericho can be the rated RKO of this time, but just lasts a little longer. And I think I think it's the prelude to a face uh, turn for, for Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens is great on the microphone. Um, he, he can, you know, basically do whatever he wants. He's great in the ring. And uh, Jericho is Jericho's up there. Graham, he's 45. I love Jericho. He's an all-time great Hall of Famer. But at some point, it's like, you know, maybe he's doing this to, to help Kevin Owens. If people want to see it that way, he's... Trying to get that 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 baby face turn for for Owens, and what better way to turn face than against Chris Jericho, who has done that plenty of times? Definitely, I mean Jericho. No one is better than him at putting people over. And I love the fact that during this run, he's definitely done that. But they've it's a combination of both him and creative, in that they're not having having him lose every pay per view match or like every major feud or whatever. Like you go back to 2012 when he came back for that great feud to CM Punk. He lost the Rumble, he lost the Chamber, he lost the WrestleMania, Extreme Rules, all these other pay-per-views. It's like, okay, you got to give the win, you, you got to give the dude a win at some point. And during this run, he's beaten AJ Styles a few times, he beat Dean Ambrose I mean, a few times in Raw and SmackDown and a number of other, he beat Enzo on Raw too. He, said, he beat Cesaro at the draft, so he's got a lot of great wins under his belt, and he's already established, but a few wins here and there, he's not hurt. And then in the end, it's going to mean more when he eventually loses to someone like Kevin Owens. And like you said, KO has been killing it since coming to the main roster, even before then, the NXT. 
But ever since coming up to the main roster last year, last spring, the guy's been awesome. And uh, every single time he comes out, he always gets one of the bigger reactions of the night, a big baby beast pop, or wherever the hell they are, whether they're in you know, Des Moines, Iowa, or Chicago, or the worst city, the best city, doesn't really matter. He always gets a reaction. And I think at some point, as amazing of a heel as he is, his, you know, quick-witted comedy, his humor, and just everything he does in the ring and as a character on the mic and whatever else, is going to lead to a feature face turn form at some point, and it might as well be in a feud of Jericho, because those two could have some great segments together. I don't know if you saw, but they did that great backstage thing on SmackDown about a month or so ago, where Jericho called him out for you know wearing a scarf or something like that, and it was an amazing segment. It's on YouTube if you want to see it. But uh, that was just kind of a, a little teaser for what you could expect in a feud between Jericho and KO if they were to feud down the line. If, if you're trying to think five months ahead of time, and the the likelihood of Kevin Owens winning the Royal Rumble and then main eventing or just fighting for the world title at uh, at, at WrestleMania. If, if he stays on on Raw, if he, he'll be fighting for the, the, the Universal Championship at, at WrestleMania, is what's the likelihood, what's the possibility that now uh, in, in 2017 coming up that Kevin Owens can win the Royal Rumble and headline WrestleMania? I was really pulling for him to win the Rumble this year. Me too. So <laughs> me power. too. What was that? No, I said me too. Like, if, if you know, you were pulling for for him to to win the Rumble. I was pulling for him, but you know, who who won it? Who won the Rumble? Uh, Reigns. No, um, Hunter. Hunter won, right? Triple H. <laughs> oh God, Triple H. Yeah. Anyway. Get over the young Triple H. He's a young rising star. He needed a Rumble win. The young NXT star Triple H. Yeah, Triple H, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I was really pulling for KO this year. Unfortunately, obviously, that did not happen. But I think the chances are a lot more likely this year just because for a few reasons. One, he's red hot right now. Not that he wasn't red hot earlier this year, but he should still be a big star, you know, come January. Two, you know, we have the brand split now. So there's not just one world title to go to at WrestleMania. I could see them not wanting to put him in the main event at WrestleMania. But if they haven't won the Rumble and he goes into WrestleMania for a world title... It doesn't have to be the main event. And if I'm dream booking here, I would have Lesnar at some point win back the championship. And they could do that because they have two world championships. They don't have to rely on him to carry the entire load of Raw. Um, they could have him take the world title for a few months because he's not going to be there every month. And then I would just do Lesnar and KO for the belt at WrestleMania and have KO beat him for the championship. That is total dream booking. I did not expect that to happen at all. But uh, that's what I would do for 2017. Or for even for even the time being, Graham, for the for the time being, maybe not you know, if it, you know if it's not Rumble or Mania, but for the time being, because I heard it might be coming back. What if Kevin Owens wins the King of the Ring? Yes, King King Kale has a very, very <laughs> yeah very King Kale. I'd buy that. The thing is, the thing is with the King of the Ring. And I know we talked about this last week of the week when we were talking about them potentially bringing back the tournament. The thing is, is that there's so many good people that can win it. Like a King Corbin, a King Baron Corbin would be cool. Mm-hmm. King whoever would be great. A King Bar- King Barrett, a King Wade Barrett in storyline was like, oh, that's so awesome. But then they buried the guy. They did nothing with him. So at this point, it's all a matter of not who wins it, but how they follow up on it. It's all about the aftermath. But if, they, if the aftermath is there with KO, and they don't give him some goofy-ass outfit like they did with Sheamus and Barrett and all these other guys, and then have him lose from that point forward, then I think it's a great idea. I love it. If um, 
you know, it's just a shame that me and you don't, don't are not in the room writing this stuff because we we, we <laughs> yeah. came with a game uh, a great uh, idea for Kevin Owens of all people to win the King of the Ring, and I mean, I heard that you know that they they filed a trademark for it, so. At some point, I think they are going to use it. It depends what brand, or they, you know, incorporate both, or they, it's going to be uh, on a separate show, or like how did how did they battleground, um, Grand? But I, I think maybe people are just really recognizing now that the King of the Ring is is valuable, still valuable, can be valuable to to these young guys, and uh, if they feel that if they do the trademark, that that's that's right away to me telling me that they're gonna somehow use it um but like you said don't just do the king in the ring and not do it right because when they did it for for, for wade barrett it was like okay he's the king of the ring and they did absolutely shit with him so if they're gonna use it do it right and it has to be the right person but to me i'm just happy that the the possibility of the king in the ring is coming back Absolutely. I mean, I love the idea of the King of the Ring. Unfortunately, just in recent years with Barrett, Sheamus, and a few others, they just never really did it right. But I think the concept is there. And, you know, lest we forget that it elevated the careers of Triple H, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and a few others as well, Bret Hart. So it can be wonders for one's career. And I think it's a great idea. Like, oh, you're the king of the entire WWE. That's a great, that's so, you know, that's heel booking 101 right there. That's perfect for allowing someone to get heat. But, it's all about that aftermath. But I think with the brand split, it could work a lot better, whether it's, like you said, one brand, both brands, it doesn't really matter. But, um, yeah, I think King KO has a great ring to it. It would benefit him greatly if they could follow up on it. And I think if there's anyone that would, you know, do just fine, do justice by that crown, it would be KO. Because, you know, with Barrett, they never really thought much of him to begin with, and they gave him the crown, so I don't know why the hell they did it. But KO is already well-regarded. He's well-liked, apparently, backstage, might have heard and read and whatever that he's a pretty high priority on the Raw brand, so it's not like that they would give him the crown and then have him lose all the time. It doesn't really seem like that would fit. I know they did it with Sheamus, but Sheamus, by the time that he won, it was a loser anyway, so um, I would love to see it. I think it would be a great gimmick for KO. We're chatting with Graham Matthews of Bleacher Report, WWE feature columnist for Bleacher Report, and, and what culture, hidden remote, the guy's all over the place. He's on Twitter at WrestleRant, so go check him out. Um... Now we get to Raw and SmackDown. Um, just a little couple things. Um, where should I start? All right, obviously, there was no John Cena, no AJ Styles on SmackDown. So, did not having both of those talents on the show kind of hurt the maybe the viewership of the show, or maybe just you know spreading everybody thin on the show. Not having AJ and Cena, what do you think about? Um, did did it derail SmackDown for a third week? I think it has its pros and cons in that the pros is that I like the fact that Cena and Styles aren't in every single show. Like, save them. Mm-hmm. Not like do them, put them on the show once a month. But I think it adds a specialty, like a novelty about them not being on the show every single week so when they do show up, it means more. And you can do that with two separate shows now. With two separate brands, you can definitely do that. They build up the rest of the show just fine. Um, on the other end, I feel like it did hurt the show a little bit because I was looking forward to seeing how they would further the feud. And it's not like they held them off the show and, you know, intentionally they were just off the show because I think they were doing a live event in like India or something like that. They were also doing a live event. Otherwise, they would have been on the show. I think Apollo Crews was also off the show for that same reason. Um, so that being said, I think the video package they aired in their absence was really good. The feud overall has been great. We talked about it last week. The promo they cut, the promo they cut on SmackDown last Tuesday was freaking great. 
and uh, the match should be awesome too. But uh, yeah, I think it has its pros and cons. I think pros, it's cool that they're not being overexposed, which has been one of the biggest issues for this goddamn company for a long ass time now. But the cons is that it kind of took away from the overall episode, and I was looking forward to seeing how they would further their feud. We didn't see them this week, but I'm hoping they deliver a, a great go home strong segment next week on SmackDown. But like you said, not having Cena and AJ on it can also give the opportunity to to the young guys to really step up and and do some work. And to me, when you look at the dynamic between Dolph Ziggler and Dean Ambrose, the one guy that's really benefiting is, is Bray Wyatt because we did not know what was he going to do while on, on SmackDown. He lost the... I guess the, the number one contendership match last week to Dolph Ziggler. He said that you know I didn't lose. I'm 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 still a god and everything. And and right now you have Dolph against Dean Ambrose at SummerSlam, but Bray Wyatt is still right in the middle of everything. So that that makes you think like, all right, Bray's gonna be in this mix for for quite a while now. Maybe the winner of SummerSlam, he'll fight at, at the Backlash pay per view, or Bray Wyatt is still gonna. You know, come at Dean Ambrose or, or Dolph Ziggler. So I think, regardless of who wins between Dolph or Dean, I think Bray Wyatt. I think at this point is still the clear-cut number one contender because I don't think it's going to be Cena or, or, or AJ right away. Um, Orton is going to be fighting Brock. So I like what they're doing with with Bray. They're getting heat on him. He's still in the mix. Um, he's making Dean and, and and Dolph Ziggler go at each other. You know, just even more. And Bray Wyatt is just chilling, laughing the whole time. So I like what they're doing um, there with Bray. I like it too. I like the fact that he's not technically in the world title picture right now, but he's still benefiting from being a top heel on Smack. And we've said it time and time again. I think it's only inevitable and it should happen that he's a baby face on the show. But for right now, I think with Ambrose and Ziggler going one-on-one at the pay-per-view, they need a top heel for them to feed with, have singles matches against, tag team matches against, which they've done for the past few weeks. And he's really flourished in the role so far, and I think it's only inevitable, whether it's at Backlash or you know later down the line, we will see him go out for the World Championship either against Ziggler or Ambrose or both. And he's played the role well so far. I know he lost uh, you know last week and this week, and that's okay. I mean, he's lost before, and it's, it's Bray Wyatt we're talking about here. But I think uh, and I think one of the biggest over one of the most overlooked superstars in this entire brand extension in terms of who it's going to benefit is Bray Wyatt. The guy's already been, you know, he's main evented the first three episodes of SmackDown since they went live, you know, other than the draft episode, but I'm talking about the past three weeks. He's been in the main event for the past three weeks, and I think he will continue to be in the weeks to come. So I think uh, his little inclusion in this feud as Ziggler and Ambrose did the whole babyface versus babyface dynamic for right now. And we talked about it before. I don't know if they'll turn one of them, whether it be Ziggler or Ambrose or neither, either at the show itself or afterwards, beforehand. Beforehand, I doubt it just because we have one show left. They want to do it on the Gollum show. But uh, maybe at the event itself, we'll see. But I think so far, so good with all you know, three guys, Wyatt, Ambrose, and Ziggler. All of them have played their roles very, very well since the feud started two weeks ago. Now, let me ask you this. Do, do you only see Bray Wyatt as, as a guy that can go at the World Championship? Because I, I don't recall him seeing going after the U.S. title, Intercontinental title, even a tag team title. I think he's just been in, in the, the, the World Heavyweight title picture since, since he's been there. So, like, why not? If this doesn't work out with with Dean, you know, Dolph for the world title, why not have him go at the the Intercontinental Championship? Why not have him go after the I would assume the new uh, tag team championship coming to SmackDown? Does Bray Wyatt just only need, need to be in the world title picture, or can he eventually be the the, the IC champion? 
I don't think we can see him not be champion before long. I think it's not going to be. Um, I don't know. I feel like he'll be involved in this little mini feud or this full-on feud, rather, between Ziggler and Ambrose for right now. But beyond that, I mean, the tag team division is so, you know, like we said, it, it doesn't have enough depth right now. It's so weak for the SmackDown side of things that I think they would really benefit from putting the belts, maybe not on them right away or at least going for the belts, Wyatt and, um, Wyatt and Rowan against American Alpha. The matches would be great. So, again, I don't know if you do it from the get-go. I know people are saying, oh, maybe Wyatt and Rowan versus American Alpha at SummerSlam. That's way too soon. That's literally next Sunday, and they would have a zero bill. So, no. Oh, no way, no but way. But at some point, I'd be totally down with two teams like that, you know, going after the belt. It'd be ten times better than seeing American Alpha versus the freaking Ascension or the Villains or Brazongo because just no one cares. So, if it's two teams that you give a crap about with the Wyatt family and American Alpha – over the tag belts, I'd be all for it. And then Wyatt versus Cruz, if Cruz wins the IC title at SummerSlam, that would be a good feud, so I'd love to see that happen too. Um, so you Cruz and Wyatt down the line. There's a couple different things you could do with Wyatt, so I would definitely agree that I feel like he's not, you know, he's not, you know, only he does not only need to be in the main event picture. He could be another championship chase before long as well, hopefully in due time. The Seth Rollins, Finn Balor... Uh, promo won by Seth uh, by Seth in the ring. Finn Balor had a video promo, both basically to talk about the the essence and the definition of the word Finn and Balor and the whole background, this Greek god stuff. And uh, I thought I thought it was pretty good. Um, maybe the Balor video should have been done a few weeks ago and not on on his third week of, of Raw to 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 make more people out there who did not know about him to get a chance to know more about him. But even me, I didn't know where Finn came from. I didn't know where Balor came from. Maybe I should have looked it up a long time ago, but I thought it was great. And, you know, it showed Finn in a, in a different uh, a different light, different character. Um, what did you make about the promos? And, and I think, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, that he, that he invited the demon Finn Balor next week on Raw. So my thing is, we, we, we spoke about the whole get up the paint and everything. Are we going to actually see that on Raw on Monday, or are they going to save that till SummerSlam next week? I don't think they'll do it next Monday. I could see them doing it just because they teased it, and they said that we could see what they're, the term they're using now is the King Demon. So I don't know. It's like the Demon King, like it's called him that all the time. Or called, you know, it's so stupid. So I'm hoping oh, that, um, that they won't be calling him just the King Demon from now on. It's just the Demon, but it doesn't really make it that big of a difference. Uh, that being said, uh, I don't think we'll see him on Raw just because I feel like it makes more sense. They're six days out from the pay-per-view come Monday. They'll just save it for SummerSlam. But I am glad that, like you said, I mean, you brought it up last week, so credit to you, that uh, they didn't really mention the Demon all that much during last week's promo battle between the two, between Rollins and Balor. They're finally acknowledging the presence of the Demon on the main roster. Some people may not know about it at all, so it's great they're talking about it. And Balor himself talked about it in his little promo later on in the night in that you know, pre-taped vignette, which I thought was great, too, and a perfect use of Balor, who's not a great talker in his own right. But, um, yeah, no, I don't think we'll see it on Raw, but I think it's better off to save it for SummerSlam. But I think just bottom line, I'm glad to see them acknowledge it and see it become a big part of the feed going forward. One question that a lot of people had while while watching Raw was, you know, what what was the freaking point of having Daniel Bryan on Raw if, if he didn't really do much or really promote SmackDown or really just... Uh, really get a chance to speak because when he was talking, Mick, you know, Mick Foley cut him. Uh, Mick Foley cut him off. Said, you know, you're not here to promote SmackDown and stuff like that. And that, to me, I think the best part was 
I guess he was aggravating Mick when Cesaro came out and that whole, you know, confrontation that maybe Cesaro is being underutilized and maybe they were teasing some kind of thing where he might be traded or he had been traded and might win the match against Rusev and bring the U.S. title to SmackDown or maybe mm-hmm. down the road Cesaro is going to be a SmackDown superstar. So my, the first question is, what was the point of what was the real point of Daniel Bryan being there? Um Besides getting an apology from Mick Foley about Brock Lesnar being on being on SmackDown the day after Orton was on Raw, before that. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what the purpose that was. I yeah, think me. Last, so I didn't really mind, you know, Orton being on Raw last week and Lesnar being on SmackDown. And when they announced Brian for Raw this week, I'm like, okay, so hopefully this serves a purpose. And it really didn't. It led into Cesaro and Rusev, which they could have made anyway. So I'd rather they not mess with the brand split, you know, crossing that line if they don't need to. Orton and Lesnar, I get it. But when it's just Daniel Bryan, the GM of SmackDown, for no real reason, he didn't make the blockbuster announcement, no real fight broke out. It was from, it was an awkward transition from their little promo battle or what the hell it was, a confrontation, you know, from that to the main event between Cesaro and Rusev that was made out of fly, so... Again, uh, I don't think it was really necessary. I didn't hate it. It just kind of left me more confused than anything else. Yeah, I, you know, then, then like you said, it, it really promoted the, the Rusev-Cesaro U.S. title match. It also promoted Rusev and, and Roman Reigns at SummerSlam for the U.S. title because Rusev did beat uh, Cesaro. and also promoted Cesaro and maybe Cesaro and Sheamus. It, it promoted three different things that had – Absolutely nothing to do uh, with SmackDown, and it's, and it's not like Danny Bryan was inviting Foley to come to Raw to apologize for Randy Orton uh, being being on being on Raw. And I guess maybe uh, that whole thing was not properly you know done, and maybe to me the cross branding twice or, or three times already within three weeks needs to cut back and chill because Brock and, and Orton, we get that because that match was already made prior to the draft. We knew that was going to happen. But mm-hmm. now when you're just inviting, oh, and Daniel Bryan, come here. We, we, we want to talk to you and just apologize. And, you know, Stephanie, why don't you come to, to SmackDown? We'll give you a front row seat and we're going to apologize. Like, I mean, if it don't make sense, don't start the cross-branding stuff just, just yet. Brock and Orton, yes, but it'll be interesting to see how – less of cross-branding they do after SummerSlam. And that's the thing. You know, SummerSlam is a dual-branded pay-per-view, so people shouldn't, you know, be all up in arms about the fact that Raw and SmackDown are appearing on each other's shows. It's not like they're pouring themselves out by having every Raw member on SmackDown and vice versa. It's not that bad. It was only one occasion or, you know, two circumstances last week, which I was completely fine with, with Orton and Lesnar. And then this week was Daniel Bryan, which was not necessary, but it wasn't the worst thing they could have done. But again, SummerSlam, like you said, like I just mentioned too, it's a dual-branded pay-per-view. So, of course, they're going to do some cross-branding. You know, beyond that, if they do it, I'll have more of an issue with it. But for right now, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt just because SummerSlam is both Raw and SmackDown shared. So after that, hopefully they will just make them as exclusive as possible and not have them cross over when they don't need to. Now, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, on SmackDown, after the match between... Um, Dolphin and Dean against the, the the Wyatts. I don't know if you've seen it, but if you haven't, I, I'll put it up later. There was a sign in the crowd, uh, a big blue sign, white Give lettering. Dolph Diesel, was that what it said? Give Dolph Diesel. 
Exactly. <laughs> I saw that, yeah. And I know but, we spoke about that with maybe Kevin Nash wanted to get involved. He himself even said that Dolph needs a diesel. Dolph needs, not saying maybe not me, but he needs that kind of person to elevate the character. And when I saw it, I took a picture of it because I think it makes perfect sense. Um, because one, to elevate the character, I'm tired of, I know, well, me and you are both tired of the babyface show-off character. He needs to be needs to be more edgy, uh, you know, personify the heel character, have the bodyguard like, like Sean did back in the 90s with Diesel. Um, can that happen? Can it work? Does, even if Dolph turns heel, does he need that, you know, the quote-unquote insurance policy, the bodyguard like a Diesel, like Kevin Nash, or does he just need to turn heel by himself? No, I think he'd definitely benefit from a diesel. I think turning heel alone is a big step in the right direction for Dolph Ziggler. But, yeah, like you said, I think he would really benefit from a guy like a diesel. Or, And I know people have brought it up. I just am you know, not a fan of it. I know Baron Corbin is like the new – not really. I think he's better than Diesel was in his prime, in my opinion. But that's just me. Um, I think that, uh, I, you know, Baron Corbin, people have said, oh, he should be the new bodyguard for Dolph Ziggler. They literally just got done feeding a month ago. That would make zero sense. And Baron Corbin's a lone wolf. So that would make zero sense to put those two together, at least right now. And I wouldn't do it at all. I think Baron Corbin's better by himself. Um, and I don't know how many big men you could put with Dolph Ziggler that he would have that kind of chemistry with. I mean, you have Braun Strowman. He's on Raw doing his thing. So I think Diesel would be a great choice. We haven't really seen Kevin Nash in a regular role on TV in just about five years. And as long as he's not wrestling, I'm completely content with that. And Ziggler, they have chemistry anyway. Ziggler's a huge NWO guy. Anyone who follows him on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, you see pictures of him all the time with Kevin Nash wearing NWO shirts. The guy's a huge mark for the NWO. I feel like it's a match made in heaven to put Diesel with him. And he'd be a great heat generator for, uh, for Dolph Ziggler. So turn him heel. He's already Shawn Michaels anyway. He's wearing the tights. He's doing the super kick. He's, he's doing the you know the high flying elbows and shit. He's already Shawn Michaels basically. So you might as well go all the way with it. Put him with Diesel, and I would love to see that pairing totally. Now you know, try to help me out here. Now, the balance of heels and baby faces on SmackDown is it even? Is it more one than the other? Because let's say hypothetical Dolph, Dolph turns heel, does it? shake the balance of good guys and bad guys on SmackDown, or is it pretty much even right now? I think that would even it out a little bit more, just because if you look at the baby faces, we have Dean Ambrose, we have Dolph Ziggler, and then, you know, weeding the wings, we have John Cena and Randy Orton. That's four big names right there, at least three with Ambrose. I know Ziggler's not really there yet. He could be. But that's Ambrose, Cena, and Orton. Now, the heel side, which we've talked about before, they have Wyatt, who should be a baby face. So if they turn him, it's even more evened out. But yeah. You have Wyatt, who should be a babyface anyway. You have AJ Styles, who is, in, by default right now, the number one heel on that show. Del Rio, I would hardly count. The guy is just not a main event guy. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Miz is mid-card at best. Maybe he could be main event again in the near future, but right now he's top, you know, upper mid-card at best. Um, maybe I'm forgetting someone, but that... Baron, Baron Corbin is a heel. Baron Corbin, too. Yeah, I think he could be a top heel at some point, but for right now he is also upper mid-card. So I think turning Dolph Ziggler would be the best way to kind of even out the roster and even out the heels, you know, faces on SmackDown. Oh, yeah, you can't forget about Kane. <laughs> oh, God, Kane, Jesus Christ. I'm trying to forget about Kane. Yeah, anyway, I, I, hey, man, no, no Kane and Big Show? 
on either show is fine by me, man. I, I'm I'm all with it. I'm all with it. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's been three weeks. I mean, I know we were saying that this week was not as great as previous weeks, but Big Show and Kane so far in the brand split have neither been. I've, I've been on neither Raw or Smack. So, you know what? No complaints for me at all. Yeah, man. I mean, the the last one I got for you. Basically, we, we all agree that Raw wasn't how it was the first two weeks in the whole uh, new era of of wrestling, and SmackDown took a little dip. Uh, on Tuesday, and we all know the Olympics are, are, are on and took away the viewers. I think Raw was under three mil per hour on 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 Monday, and I think SmackDown was around two, a little on you know below that for for Tuesday. So I want to ask you, what did you find different on Raw and SmackDown in Week Three of the new era brand brand split? as as opposed to what you saw in the first two weeks? What what really stood out? Did you say you know what? The reason why they dipped in the ratings or just quality because they did not do this. That's a good question. I don't really know. I feel like I don't know. Just not that there was more monumental moments. And I, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. That they can't do every week what they did with week one with Raw. Right. In terms of like, you can't do four way matches every week. You can't do a title change every single week. That's ridiculous. That's like Nitro level bullshit. Fifteen years ago, and what put them out of business ultimately. You can't do that every week. But I thought when they took that stuff away, they still had a pretty good show last week with strong talking segments and a lot of other stuff setting up matches for SummerSlam, which I would say that, if anything, for on SmackDown this week anyway, I would say the best thing they did on both shows was building up matches for the pay-per-view. I thought they did that very, very well. That aside, I don't know. I feel like just for Raw, especially SmackDown, not so much. But I feel like for Raw especially... It was just a lot of filler and stuff that I just didn't care about. Just like poorly executed stuff. Didn't really feel like it had a great pace. The Roman Reigns segment with, with Rusev, the wedding thing, I thought was dumb. O'Neal and Young was kind of forgettable. Um, Sasha and Dina was over in like a minute. The main event stuff with Cesaro and Rusev was really good, but that came out of nowhere. The Brian and Foley stuff was kind of pointless. So there was a lot of stuff on the show I felt like this didn't really click. And it's all right to have that kind of stuff like once in a while or a little bit of that on each show for the entire three hours, or at least most of it, is attributed or contributed, is featuring that kind of garbage. It doesn't make for a good show overall. SmackDown was a different story, just because I feel like they did a decent job, they did a decent job overall, a little bit better than Raw, and have that advantage of being two hours. But again, there really weren't many standout matches or anything. I mean, I thought what we saw in NXT in the Cruiserweight Classic this week was better than Raw and SmackDown. So, I don't know, it wasn't, it was just one of those weeks, and I feel like you'll get one of these weeks before every show, or before every pay-per-view, rather, where it's just kind of a down week for the company, where they don't really do much, they don't really feel the need to do anything big. If we had these two shows this, or like during the go-home week, I'd be more concerned, but we still have one more show before the pay-per-view. The card is freaking stacked as it is. They don't really have many problems with it as it currently stands. So, as long as next week's shows deliver for both Raw and SmackDown, then I really have no complaints. You know, I have no gripes about how they're booking their shows currently real quick two things you mentioned um i know you mentioned the the, the segment with, with with reigns and rusev and the whole wedding thing i it may not be the best segment but i think what needs to be um mentioned is the fact that i really thought roman reigns did pretty good on the microphone i i, I don't know whether it's him not being in the world title picture, he's not with Rollins and Ambrose and Lesnar's and those those kind of guys, and maybe he felt more comfortable because 
when you when you looked at him, I, I, again, I, I don't know if if they wrote it for him or that's that you know that's his own material. But if you look at if you look back at it, he looked pretty comfortable. He looked very a little happy. Uh, the, the the delivery did not sound corny and childish and whatever. And I felt like you know what, I'm I'm gonna give credit where credit is you know is due. And I felt Roman Reigns did did pretty good on on the microphone. And I think. Um, Maybe him being in the U.S. title picture, there's not that much pressure, I would say. And if if, if that's how he feels going forward, then um, I wouldn't mind seeing him on the microphone more. But it, it it has to be how it was, like like it was on on Monday night. Yeah, I thought the overall segment didn't deliver, but I thought Roman Reigns specifically, I thought he played his part well, just because, like you said, he came up more comfortable. And I don't know what it is, like you said, maybe it's the fact that it's for the U.S. title, it's kind of high pressure, but I feel like whenever he has to deliver, like, a serious promo, and this is the exact opposite with most people, like, seeing when he cuts, like, a comedy promo or he attempts, he attempts comedy, it's awful, like, he's making poop jokes and shit, and it's not funny. But with Roman Reigns, not like he's cracking jokes or anything, but I feel like when he's more of himself. And we've seen this before, like when he's doing stuff with Dean Ambrose, he feels more like himself. He feels like an actual person and not saying, like, well, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a good guy. Like all that garbage, like it's stupid. When he's not repeating the same lines and he comes off like, I don't know, an actual human, he comes off as likable. So, and I, I do like the fact that he came across like he showed more personality in that segment than we've seen from him in, in the last like, couple of months or so and probably his entire career. So, yeah, I thought the overall segment wasn't amazing. I thought it dragged it a lot longer than it needed to. But Rowan Reigns, his role, I definitely agree with what you said. You know, he definitely played his part well, and hopefully we can see more of this Roman Reigns going forward. And, hell, maybe that's what gets him over as a baby fan in due time off, we'll say. And uh, the final point, uh, you, you, you mentioned that maybe the Cruiserweight was better than Raw and SmackDown. I, it was, was funny, Graham, is that I, I, w- I was watching something else last night, and... I kept I kept seeing the tweets, you know, about this match with with, uh, with Alexander and um, Ibushi, mm-hmm. and I'm like, hmm, maybe I should watch it. Maybe I should watch it tomorrow. Then I seen a a, a gif of Hunter coming out to congratulate Alexander at the end. So I'm thinking like, oh, maybe he won. So now I go check it out today, and I'm like, I'm thinking, uh, you know, this guy won the match, and then he lost, and then overall, the match was great, and I'm like, man, why, why the hell did I miss this last night? But thanks to Twitter, <laughs> that, that was promoting it all day and all night, I'm like, I gotta check it out, and I tell you, Grant, I, I'm pretty sure you saw it, but the, the match was great, match is phenomenal, I'm not, I'm not gonna sit here and, and act like I know who these who these two guys were and are, but for, for me to be like, you know what, let me go check it out, and check out these two new guys to me, and see what they can and cannot do, um, I thought the great. I thought the match was great. It was phenomenal, and it just remains to be seeing how uh, who wins that cruiserweight tournament and where does um, Alexander go? Because the crowd was saying sign him, sign him. So maybe down the road we'll see him uh, maybe in NXT. But I, to your point, man, that cruiserweight classic joint last night was was, was pretty dope. It was phenomenal. The whole episode is really good. But uh, about that one match, so I'm at work last night, and I get out, and my buddy John texts me, who I mentioned before. He texts me, he goes, please tell me you saw Cedric Alexander and Kodai Ibushi. And then he sent another text, in all caps, please tell me that you saw that match. And I responded back and said, I'm at work, and I'm going to try to watch it when I get home in about an hour or so. So I watched the match. I watched the first half of the show, which was Graham Metallic and Tachiri, who had a pretty good match. And then he called me back and he goes, can I please watch this match with you over the phone? Like, I want to watch this match as you're watching it, too, to get your 
live reaction. If I'm like, okay, and he's really putting over this match, and he does not do this often. So I'm like, okay, so if he's praising this match as much as he is, and he's not a huge fan of like this type of style of wrestling where it's like nonstop action, no real storytelling, which this match had, but a lot of the matches in this tournament have pretty much been pure wrestling, no real drama and whatever. So I'm like, okay, for him to go to the great lengths that he did to tell me how amazing my match this was, it must have been pretty damn good. So I rewatched with him, him, him watching for the second time, me for the first time, and like you said, I think phenomenal is the best word to really sum up this match. Honestly, if it was given like a month, a month long build on like Raw or SmackDown leading into a pay per view, which is where this match belonged, it would have been the greatest match of 2016. It was that effing good. Like these guys went out there and killed it for 15, 20 minutes, however long it was. Ayabushi's great. Like you said, I'm not a huge Japanese pro wrestling fan. I don't watch much Japanese wrestling, but I've seen a little bit of Ayabushi in this tournament. The guy's a star. And Alexander, I knew from Ring of Honor, I know he was great. And he busted his ass to get in this tournament, and he had just a masterpiece of a match on that show. And then, like you said, I was really hoping Alexander would win. It really didn't matter. It's a win-win. Both guys are great. He lost. And then at the end of the show, he's walking backstage to a police sign setter chant from the Full Seal University audience, which was amazing. And then Triple H pulls an audible. He comes up, puts over Alexander, gives the crowd a thumbs up as he walks to the back. And it was almost, it was beautiful. I thought it was great. I mean, if they don't sign this guy to a contract for Ibushi, this company's on drugs because these guys are stars. Like, even beyond the Cruiserweight division, if you sign these guys to Raw for this returning Cruiserweight division, that's great and all. But I could see Alexander as, like, this, you know, this flourishing U.S. or IC champion. That's how good this guy is. And Ibushi, too. So, to your point, um, this match was well worth watching. Far better than anything on Raw or SmackDown this week. Anyone who was down on the product from this past week needs to watch this match. If you're a real wrestling fan, you need to watch this goddamn match. It was that good, and I can't wait to see these guys on Raw at some point. Last one before I let you go, Graham. Um, we're still a week away from both NXT Brooklyn and SummerSlam. Right now, Brooklyn uh, NXT has five matches. SummerSlam has nine, and I know that the consensus last year was that NXT was better than SummerSlam last year. Now, real quick, nine matches to five. The, the card looks pretty, pretty, pre, you know, pretty damn good on, on, on the SummerSlam side. Could we, could we see SummerSlam being better than NXT Brooklyn this year? It could be. I think even going into SummerSlam last year, people said, okay, Brooklyn will be better or TakeOver will be better. Um, and SummerSlam wasn't bad. SummerSlam was actually a really good show. But, again, it was just that audience. And we talked about it a few weeks ago when we were talking about TakeOver and whatever. But just to kind of reiterate, reiterate that point, it's that audience. It's the environment right. in NXT, that TakeOver audience that blows the main roster audience out of the water. And it's weird, too. It's in the same building. It's basically the same fans. So I don't know what it was. Maybe it's because TakeOver was a two, two-and-a-half-hour show last week or last year and summer, some was four hours. I don't know if that plays a factor. It definitely does. But um, I think with what's, 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 what's on tap for SummerSlam, you look at a card start to finish, top to bottom, and on a card where I can honestly see, like I was thinking about this yesterday, you could see pretty much almost every championship change hands. I don't think they'll do it, but I could see pretty much every belt changing hands other than maybe the women's title. But you look at the main event matches. You have Ambrose Ziggler, Valor Rollins, Orton Lesnar, Cena Styles, The Club and New Day, Sasha and Charlotte, Enzo and Cass versus Y2 uh, KO, Jericho and KO. That's a dream card right there. Apollo Crews and The Miz. Roman Reigns and Rusev, if that happens, and probably will. Starro and Sheamus, maybe. 
Corbin Callisto on the on the kickoff show. That's a dream. You know, that's an IWC card right there. So, but then you look at Takeover. Like you said, you have I confirmed last night. Revival, Gargano and Ciampa for the tag team titles. Austin Aries in No Way Jose. Bobby Roode versus Andrade Cien Almas. Samoa Joe versus Shinsuke Nakamura for the NXT title. First time ever. Bailey and Oscar for the NXT women's title. So it's, it's, a, it's a toss-up this year compared to last year. I'm looking forward to both shows. They, they should both be phenomenal. But I think, you know, SummerSlam might have the, the upper hand. But then again, you don't want to underestimate the NXT audience. So I think both shows are going to deliver hands down either way. Nakamura's entrance at NXT Brooklyn is going to be so, so great because I, I told someone last night on Twitter. I, uh, I wrote it on Twitter last night, and someone said like, like why? You know, it's, it's just a basic entrance. And I said, dude, this is Brooklyn. <laughs> no, it's not. This yeah. is Brooklyn. Brooklyn's gonna, Brooklyn's gonna make that entrance a thousand times better. And, and the, the, someone said, well, the, the sing along for his entrance in in Brooklyn is gonna be so great. I'm like, well, you know. Trust me, man. That Nakamura entrance is going to be fire. It will be. It's it's going to be pretty great. I think that the Bobby Roode entrance, too, which has a lot of people talking to kind of come full circle from what we were talking about earlier at the start of the podcast, that people will be singing Glorious throughout the entire entrance for Bobby Roode and probably during his match, too. And then it, it's hard to say, again, you talk about what will be better between SummerSlam and TakeOver. What's going to be better than Nakamura's entrance? Or what's going to be better between Nakamura's entrance on Saturday or the Demon entrance on Sunday. That's the real toss-up. And we saw yeah. the Demon in the Barclays Center last year. This year, it might be in the main event of SummerSlam as opposed to TakeOver. Just, again, it's, it's going to be incredible. Nakamura's entrance is something you have to experience live. When I went to NXT a few months ago, it gave me goosebumps before he even came out because the guy is a freaking star. He's an absolute star. And the Demon Balor is just, again, a star into himself as well. So it's, it's going to be an incredible week, to say the least. And do you know what makes it better, Graham? Is the fact that me and you will both be there for both SummerSlam <laughs> and NXT. Yeah, that right, brother. That makes it better. It's going to make it that much better. That whole weekend should be great. Raw 2 on Monday. That whole Brooklyn audience is just going to be great. It, it doesn't get much better than that. I just cannot wait to be there for those shows. It's going to be one hell of a weekend, to say the least. I just can't wait for it. Definitely, man. I can't wait to, for, for NXT, SummerSlam. Uh, I'm pretty sure we'll link up in the arena or outside the arena on, on one of those days. But, um, Graham, always a pleasure having you on. He's Graham Matthews, WWE featured columnist for Bleacher Report. What, 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 what culture, right? Or what's the culture? What culture, yep. What culture, hidden remote. Go find him on Twitter. He's at WrestleRant. Graham Matthews, thank you, my man. I appreciate it. As always, dude, always great being on here uh, for the third straight week. Like I said earlier, like I've said every single, pretty much every single week here on the show, no better time to talk about wrestling than the road to SummerSlam, TakeOver, the Cruiserweight Classic. It's just been an amazing time to be a fan right now, and I really much appreciate you having me on, as always. Thank you, man. Thanks, dude. I'll catch you down the road. All right.